friends, welcome. It's good to be together. And whether we are worshiping in person or at home, may we feel God's spirit bring us strength, comfort, and uniting us in love. Now, I'm sure that many of you, like me, um, have found these last several days difficult with the news of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. Um, more restrictions are in place, none for the church yet, and higher infection rates are in the area. And as of last night or this morning, we found out that there is a case of Omicron in our community, in our region. It is upsetting news and it's disappointing when many of us thought that things were opening up more. So I think it's, it's good to name that sense of, of disappointment and that sense of heightened emotions that many of us are feeling, be it fear or fatigue or stress or something else. And in times like this, it's important to remember, to remember who we are, to remember who we're called to be, how we're called to live. Our faith reminds us that we are never alone, that God is with us, that God's spirit joins us together even when we're physically distanced, that God brings us comfort and strength, that we are part of community of love. We are called to root ourselves once more again and again during this pandemic in love and compassion. I think many of us are tired. Many of us are tired of, of living through this. So we remember who we are and we continue to care for ourselves and care for each other, whether that's getting vaccinated if we can or calling people or emailing people that we know are alone or just that we need to connect with or want to connect with or sending letters or holding each other in prayer. All those things that we have done so wonderfully over the last almost two years that have reminded ourselves and one another that we are loved and that we can love. So let us continue to take care of ourselves and one another and let us live out and share the love of Christ. And personally, I'm very appreciative of all that you have done as a congregation for each other and for me. I'm very appreciative of the hard and dedicated work of our board and our reopening committee as they've tried to navigate through all of this, especially there's lots of times we've all experienced there's not clear cut answers and we do our best and we do it all in love. So I'm very appreciative to you and to all those who are working in this church. Another appreciation on Wednesday, our, our monthly board meeting, Jerry passed along a thank you from the Salvation Army for our generosity to the fall food drive and our donations to the angel tree. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who helped make this possible by organizing it, by giving gifts, by giving prayers. Thank you so much. Uh, please note, I meant to share this last week and, and completely forgot, but this year, instead of a Christmas pageant, our children and youth will be presenting an Epiphany pageant on January 9th. They'll be working over this um, Christmas break to make that happen, um, and we're very thankful to them for that and for inviting us to experience Epiphany in a little different way this year. 
Our Christmas Eve service will be at 7 p.m. in person here at Grace. Uh, please RSVP by calling the church office. Also, um, if your plans change um, for whatever reason, please let the office know if you are no longer planning on attending. On Christmas Eve at 4.30 p.m. on Whiteman TV, that's Channel 6. If you forget what channel, just look at um, Adam driving around in, in his Whiteman's car with the big six on it. Um, on Whiteman 6 at 4.30, the worship service from last year will be shared for those who are worshiping from home. 4.30 is also a good time if you want to worship there and then come in person to worship as well. Um, the service will also be available on our YouTube page. Look for Grace United Church in Hanover. And at this time, we're also planning on filming our Christmas Eve service and putting that up on our YouTube page after as well. From our, prayer, our regional prayer list today, we pray for Wesley United Church. Uh, many of us are aware that I can't even think how, how it wasn't, wasn't that long ago that Wesley United Church was um, the building burned down due to arson. Um, so we hold in prayer the people of Wesley United Church. I think the last I heard they were worshiping in a different space, um, but we hold them in prayer as they continue to come together um, through the pandemic and through the loss of a space that has been a holy space for them for so many years. And today we also have a special announcement from um, Silver Lake Camp, and this will be a video. Well, hello, Silver Lake Camp community. We are so excited to share with you that we have a special Christmas campaign for the month of December. As you may have heard, Silver Lake Camp has been planning and began fundraising for a new dining hall. The dining hall has so many memories, so much activity. It's so central to the life and heartbeat of Silver Lake Camp. But it's time for a new building to hold even more activity and more memories for the future. So over the next few weeks, you're going to hear some fun testimonies and stories of some favorite dining hall memories. So be sure to check back often and be sure to head to the webpage where you can donate to this important cause. And as you donate, we're going to reveal a bit more, a glimpse of the future of the Silver Lake Dining Hall. So just like Christmas, we want to build anticipation and excitement and momentum for this new endeavor. And we need you to be a part of it. So what's your favorite dining hall memory? Maybe it's a theme night, transformation, or eating pudding with no spoons, or singing stomp clap before lunch, or what about the zany announcements, or mail time. There's so many memories. And so we encourage you and invite you to take a journey with us into the world of the dining hall at Silver Lake Camp to remember, to reminisce, to celebrate, but also to look ahead and consider how you can invest in the future of Silver Lake Camp. Videos of memories, please, if you're on Facebook, follow um, Silver Lake Camp. I'm not sure if they're gonna be posted on their website as well. 
just out of curiosity, um, how many people have been to Silver Lake Camp, either as a um, camper or just as in a meeting or for whatever reason? How many have had family that have been to Silver Lake Camp? How many people have know somebody who's been to Silver Lake Camp? All of us, because if you look around, um, some of us have been to Silver Lake Camp. And Claire, I know that you have great stories from Silver Lake Camp, and um, I, I've heard some of them, and it's wonderful. I never went to church camp. I know people who did, and um, how much of a rich part it is of their faith development. And I know people who've gone into leadership in the church, including um, for, uh, former moderators who camp ministry was part of what led them to um, their calling. So we pray for Silver Lake Camp as they um, raise funds to help rebuild an important building and continue to inspire lives. And as we gather together today, we remember that we are gathered on the traditional territory of the Ottawa, Mississauga, and Anishinaabawaki nation. We are gathered on the land covered by Saugeen Treaty 45 and a half, and we are all part of that treaty. The traditional this traditional territory is home to two indigenous communities of faith. Um, oh, sorry, two, two um, yeah, sorry, I had that right. Two indigenous churches and communities of faith, West United Church and Saugeen Ojibwe Nation and Cape Croker United Church and Nea, Nea Ushing. Um, part of the Chippewa of Nawash unceded territory. And we hold um, both Wesley United and Cape Croker in our prayers. The Gospel of Luke tells how Mary meets her cousin, Elizabeth, the story we heard last week. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit. God speaks to us in many ways, through dreams, visions, new ideas, and the taking of a child not yet born. We light our fourth candle, asking that we may hear God's call in our body, mind, and spirit. Living Christ, give us faith to trust you, hope to follow, love to live for you, and wisdom to know. We trust you, we love you, we praise you. Amen. Community is key to mental health on campus, building communities of belonging. Accumulating debt, rising tuition, pressure to succeed at, at academically, uncertainty about the labor market after graduation. These are just some of the reasons that in 2016, survey of post-secondary students in Ontario, 65% reported feeling exhausted, anxiety, and 46% reported feeling too depressed uh, to fully function. And that was before COVID-19. Before COVID-19 forced students into lockdown. Your generosity through mission and service support, students across the country through critical campus ministries, including the Reverend Tim Nethercoats. 
Nethercott is the United Church Campus Ministry at, Royal, at Mount Royal University, the University of Calgary, and the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. We know that the community is essential to mental health. There is a mental health crisis among young adults, partly because they aren't coming from community. Many are lonely. They don't realize that they need to find yourselves with others, love and be loved in community in order to have mental health. Campus Ministries supports mental health by building communities of belongings. The model of campus ministry, Nethercott leads us Leeds is unique. With grant support, he has hired and trained a team of six young adults to offer ministry as part of a ministry team. The peer-to-peer -peer model means the ministry is always fresh and reliable. Together, Nethercott and his staff team host events to have the drawing power. They offer a free meal and encourage participants to attend sharing circle, circles to help community, which in turn supports mental health. One of these events has been widely successful drumming program. Each year, the drumming program was a focus. 2,500 people participated. Campus ministry serves the population that is least present in our churches. We don't see a lot of people in their 20s, but that's the age where people set the pattern for their adult life. If the church isn't there saying, consider membership in a spiritual community, it might never occur to them. He says, adding that it doesn't cost much to have a big impact. It's just salaries and food. The buildings, computers, etc., are paid for by the institution and government. It's not a great expense for a huge public witness of caring. Also, the United Church of Canada has a brand that means something in academic. It often opens doors to support students even more. Exam pressures means December is a really stressful time for students. Let's hold them in the campus and the campus ministries who support them in prayer. Let us pray together. Compassionate God, grant students energy wisdom, and clarity of mind as they write their exams. May they know your calm presence during anxious, overwhelming moments. Lead them toward balance and wellness so that they can be at their best. Rest your grace upon all campus ministries too. May they feel the gratitude of the whole of the church so that they know their ministry is valued and feel supported in offering it energize them as they continue to make a profound difference in the lives they serve in. In Christ's way and name we pray. Amen. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke 2, 1 to 7. The birth of Jesus. In these days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was government of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And she laid him in a manger because there was no room in the guest house. About three years ago, one winter morning, I made a big mistake. I made a mistake when I went out for my weekly long run. I made the mistake many of us probably have made. I looked out the window and saw a sunny, crisp morning, but I didn't check the weather forecast before I left. You can probably guess where this is heading because we all live in this area. We know what weather can do. About eight kilometers out of town, a snow squall started to blow in. I could see it in the distance, it getting darker and snowier, so I was forced to turn back. The problem was the storm was moving faster than I could move, and about four kilometers from home, the snow was blowing so hard I could hardly see. I knew that if I couldn't see the road, or very much of the road, then drivers couldn't see me. I knew that I was cold. I knew that I was scared. I've never been scared before while out running, even in the darkness with my lights all on. But that day, I was scared. I was knew that I needed help. I could see a house through the blowing snow, so I made my way to it. I knocked on the door and explained what had happened. And thankfully, I was welcomed in to stay warm while I phoned and waited for my wife to come pick me up. I learned an important lesson that day, a lesson that I had forgotten. Always check the weather carefully before you head out in the winter. But I also learned how important hospitality is, how much even the simple act of compassion can bless a person's life. Mary and Joseph are forced to travel because of the Roman Empire which controls and occupies Israel. They have left their home in Nazareth and made their way over a hundred kilometers to Bethlehem for a census. This difficult trip is made even more so because Mary is close to her due date. In this setting, Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. For such an important moment, the description is so very brief. Birth, manger, no room in the inn. And that's where people throughout the generations have allowed themselves to take the holy ritual of entering into the story, letting their imaginations explore, and seeking God's inspiration in that place of exploring. When you picture where Jesus' birth takes place, what comes to your mind 
We probably all have images that flood in. Often we can think of a classic barn or maybe a cave somewhere separate from where people are living and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't have many details to go on. However, there was another place animals were kept in Jesus' time. Many houses, the common house in Israel at the time, were multi-story homes with a living space on the second story above the place where the animals were kept. It changes the picture a little bit. It was very practical for the majority of the working poor population because it was an effective way of, it was an effective use of the space and it also allowed the heat from the animals to keep the living space, to keep the family warm. So what happens when we think of Jesus' birth in this type of space? Again, we don't have to throw out the other images, but what happens when we think of it in this space, in the lower level of the home? When I think of, when I picture it this way, it makes me imagine the nativity scene from a different angle. And I'm inviting us to do that today. Mary and Joseph travel that over a hundred kilometers and they find out there's no room for them at the inn. And instead, they are invited into a home. And Mary gives birth in the warm place of the house, a space with more privacy, a space that is available and given to them in a very vulnerable, dangerous moment, they are not left to wander in the streets, but with hospitality, they have been welcomed inside in the warm space that is made available to them. Who are the Mary and Joseph in our time and in our place in need of compassion and care? Who are the ones who are vulnerable exhausted, frightened, searching, who are the ones pushed into or made who find themselves in precarious circumstances and are reliant on the kindness of others? What is the place within yourself that is a Mary and Joseph searching? Mary and Joseph, in many ways, become the patron saints of the vulnerable. Throughout the birth stories in Matthew and Luke, we hear of their vulnerability and their need. In Luke, they are in need of shelter after being forced to travel to Bethlehem. Later, when Jesus is presented in the temple and named, we find out they are poor as they offer the impoverished person's sacrifice of turtle doves and two young pigeons. That was the one the sacrifice for those who couldn't afford the regular sacrifice. In the Gospel of Matthew, we hear how they are forced to flee with Jesus to Egypt as refugees. In this way, Mary and Joseph point us towards the vulnerable in our midst, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, those who are afraid, those who are in need of compassion and care. Who are the Mary and Joseph in our time, in our place? How do we see them and how do we respond to their needs? In, in the face of deep need of frightening situations of suffering and uncertainty, 
It's so easy for us to feel powerless. It's easy to feel like we can't do anything to make a difference, to help out, to respond with compassion and care. I don't know about you, but I find myself in that situation now and again. What can we do? We can easily think, if only I had more, I could help. If only I had more money or more energy or more ability or more strength or more something. I could live out my call, the call of my discipleship to love and serve my neighbor and care for God's creation even more. But our faith says time and time again that we have enough. We have enough to give and to share. We have within us what we need to live out our discipleship, to live in the way of Christ, to live the way of active compassion and care right here and right now. We have enough no matter what our circumstance is. Back to imagining the nativity scene. Mary and Joseph arrive to find out there's no room for them in the inn, so they are invited into the warmth and safe lower level of the building to take up shelter inside the house. Mary won't have to give birth in the streets, bracing herself against the cold night. They won't be alone. They are given a simple yet profound gift. There is no room in the inn. That can't be changed, but there is room inside amongst the animals. Whoever offered that space gave out of what they had. This isn't far off way to think about the nativity scene because the Old Testament is full of stories about hospitality. Hospitality was a core piece of the commandments, of living in response to the covenant with God. The importance of hospitality was rooted in the realities of a harsh environment and the need to care for one another, especially when people were vulnerable. Stories like that of Abraham and Sarah tell of people welcoming strangers looking for shelter, only to be met by angels. Whoever welcomed Mary and Joseph into the warm place amongst the animals are some of the first people to encounter the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Who are the Mary and Joseph in our midst? What is the Mary and Joseph space within us? And what is our gift of compassion and care? How do we make space for God's love to be made known, to offer compassion and care in what we share from our lives? When the baby grows up, when Jesus travels and teaches and heals in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear this story. A parable about a day of judgment when the human one will come in glory. And Jesus tells the parable that all nations will be divided like sheep and goats are divided and those who are blessed are told, come, you are blessed by God, inherit that place prepared for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And when they ask, when did we see you like this? Jesus says they will be told, just as you did to the least of these who are members of my family, you did to me. 
whenever I go out for a run north of Harriston, I think about the compassion and care shown to me that day when I was cold and scared. It reminds me of what it is like to be in need and about how God blesses even the simplest of gifts that we share. Every time we remember Mary and Joseph, we are invited by God to respond to the needs of the world with compassion and care. Friends, come. Let us live out our discipleship with great love and compassion. In this way, may we live the Christmas story and encounter Emmanuel, God with us. Come, let us be part of the amazing things that God is doing right here and right now through our lives and through our community. Amen, and thanks be to God. We do share many gifts, gifts of time, talent, love, food, prayers, and money. And we give thanks to God for all the gifts that are shared with this church, with the Mission Service Fund, with the local missions projects, with many different groups in many different ways. And we ask now that God blesses these gifts. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, our offerings are poured out given to you to be blessed so they may be shared in this world in ways that bring comfort and strength, that they may be shared in this world in ways that are the warm sheltering place for the Mary and Josephs of our time looking for care and compassion. Bless these gifts and all the gifts we share. Amen. And we join together in prayer as we offer our prayers to the people. God of love, as we take these last few steps on our journey to Christmas, on the road to Bethlehem, we bring to you our prayers for ourselves and for our world. Holy One, be a light for us this day. As we have lit the candle of hope, we pray for those who feel hopeless, for all who feel anxious or afraid for all who struggle to make ends meet. As we have lit the candle of peace, we pray for all victims of violence. We pray for all who work for justice and peace. We pray for all whose lives are too quiet and are missing the laughter of friends and family. As we have lit the candle of joy, we pray for those whose hearts are weighed down by sorrow. We pray for those who have loved ones who are ill. We pray for those who are struggling, who struggle to find joy in these shortened days. As we have lit the candle of love, we pray for those who do not feel loved, for those who struggle to love others. We pray for those who are missing their loved ones. We pray for those who long to feel your love in their lives. God of love, we pray for all who are working hard to help us through this pandemic. We pray for hospital staff, frontline workers, caregivers. We give you thanks for all who offer us strength and comfort and support. We pray for all hospital staff. We pray for Dr. Ian Era and all who work in public health. 
We pray for all who are helping to distribute vaccinations, provide information, education, and support. We pray for all who are working to ensure that no country is left behind and that together we can all overcome this virus. We pray for all who are responsible for making decisions around health and safety. Oh God, we pray for students who are on their Christmas break, that this time may be a refreshing time and a renewing time, a time filled with love and joy. We pray for parents, educators, and school staff. We pray for those who home life is difficult and this added time home is hard. We bring these prayers to you, O oh God, joining them with the prayers we name this day in the silence of our hearts. Holy One, be a light for us this day, that we may reflect your love and light in this world. We pray this in the name of your Son, who taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And our firm committee has been inviting us to think about how we are, live out our mission statement as Grace United and how we love and care for all. What is Two-Spirit Identity? While two-spirit can mean different things to different people, it often refers to the gender and sexual diversity of indigenous peoples across Turtle Island. Specifically, someone who identifies as having masculine and feminine spirit. Or it might describe a person's sexual, gender, and spiritual identity. Two-spirit is sacred and exclusively indigenous. The term two-spirit was coined by Elder Myra Laramie, seen here in the middle of this photograph at the 1990 Indigenous Lesbian and Gay Gathering in Manitoba. Today, it's a mainstream term. And you might recognize it as the 2S in LGBTQ2S+. While it's a relatively new term, it's an age-old concept for many Indigenous peoples. Two-Spirit is an English version of the Anishinaabemowin term Nij Menidwig. Before Two-Spirit, the common term was Burdash, which came from the French term, kept boy. Despite common use, Burdash was inaccurate and derogatory. It was first used by European explorers who were offended by Two-Spirit customs. Two-Spirit people weren't just accepted, but revered by their people. They held prominent spiritual and ceremonial roles. Their identity was honored as a spiritual gift. Ironically, Europeans saw this as further proof that indigenous peoples were dangerously uncivilized. So two-spirit people were oppressed and related customs went underground. Today, Canadian society is steeped in colonial notions of sexuality and gender, even in indigenous communities. 
The term two-spirit was created in response to this. It's an act of decolonization. However, a general term such as two-spirit is also problematic because indigenous cultures across Turtle Island are too diverse to be adequately generalized. While imperfect, two-spirit has been useful to facilitate understanding across cultures. Indigenous sexual and gender minorities are a high-risk demographic for suicide in Canada. The indigenous suicide rate alone is reported to be almost double that of other Canadians. Suicide risk factors include violence, oppression, isolation, and rejection. But this risk can be reduced through connection to culture, tradition, and community. The reclamation of two-spirit identity fosters this kind of connection. It offers a history through which people can find strength and pride in who they are. People like musician Jeremy Dutcher, who identifies as two-spirit, are using the term to forge a path forward. I do this work to honor those who have gone before. And I lay the footprints for those yet to come. This is all part of a continuum of indigenous excellence, and you are here to witness it. I welcome you. The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism. And thank you to our firm committee for helping us continue to learn. Friends, even after these candles of hope, peace, joy, and love are extinguished, we know that hope, peace, joy, and love continues that God fills our lives with all of these things, strengthening us and encouraging us to be living expressions of hope, peace, joy, and love in this world. May you feel God's love flowing through you, and may we share God's love with all those around us. May God bless us and keep us this day and always. Amen.